This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Uh, Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Command Center inside the Melbourne Law Studio. Melbourne Law has 50 years of experience. Full uh, law practice, by the way, and they're the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. They won't back down. And of course, we're protected by crime prevention. Check them out at cpss.net and see what they can do for you. And uh, um, uh, uh, I think uh, if you're talking to me, I can hear you talking. So um, I got to keep my production people on the ball. I hope you didn't. Um, I don't mind if they signal to me, but I don't particularly want the audience listening to them talk. So um, anyway, uh, as I was saying, uh, Melon Law Studio, the Warhol Command Center here and our crime prevention and, of course, our, our mugshots. Now, today's story is um, you're going to hear it here in kind of depth that you'll hear it nowhere else. I'm going to take my time and I'm going to walk you through the um story very carefully. I'm going to check and make sure that I've got my uh, visual on you so I can see chats. We've got a phone line open today, but we're not going to uh, really, I'm not, I don't want to take any calls till after a while, probably at the bottom of the hour, but we do have the phone line open. Um, for those of you who are curious about uh, what the latest updates are, on really a kind of a community mystery about why a SWAT team was called out on a commercial deal and people marched out uh, of the office at uh, the point of long weapon, military style weapons is the term used in the document I'm about to go through with you. So um, we uh, just give you a little background that we had an arbitration settlement here, really uh, ruling and it will be uh, finalized by the court in a couple of days of the $1.5 million owed to Drotas and Riles uh, for all the problems so far that they called, caused them, the, uh, the people here uh, in, in, this, in, this, in this suit. But it's not the only uh, one, by the way, that's coming down. Let me just go through this with you and uh, uh, let you know how many more there are. Um, let's see if I can get that for you. It's a lot of the thing, plates I'm spinning here. Um, there are several more suits that are coming. A lot of court stuff going on. And um, let's see if I can. Um, anyway, there's going to, I'll cover that after the bottom of the break. I don't want to take time out to find that. But uh, uh, anyway, it's uh, a lot, a lot more legal stuff going on. And it's going to be heavy duty stuff. So let's go through where we are now. Uh, let's refresh you and let you know that um, uh, uh, Jason Hurst, Nicola Moreland, and Bennett Harrell had absolutely nothing to do with the supposed theft of trade secrets by 
Protos and Riles, which started this whole ball rolling. Uh, however, the behavior of the city of Gainesville, the Gainesville Police Department, the uh, particular detective Ronald Pinkston, SWAT team commander, Lieutenant M. West, and the additional unnamed SWAT officers and the additional unnamed investigating officers uh, in this uh, case, um, nevertheless, uh, rounded up innocent people and treated them as if they were criminals. So now that the arbitration settlement has been made, um, the lawsuit has been brought in the federal court uh, um, and the attorney uh, for it is Jeff Childers. And he's usually got his I's dotted and his T's crossed. So let me go through this with you to let you get a, a 42-page document that I'm going to go through because I get a lot of questions from the public about what's going on. And of course, uh, we probably are more involved with investigation and reporting here than any other media service you've got. So uh, uh, the defendants are in this suit, as I, was, I just mentioned, the city of Gainesville, the Gainesville Police Department, the detective, the SWAT team commander uh, uh, at all. Now, the, uh, um, the, um, the service of this uh, um, uh, notice, this illegal notice that um, they're going to have to meet in court about this can be served, just so you know, upon the mayor, Lauren Poe, or in his absence, any member of the city commission. So there will be uh, this uh, uh, notice that will be served that they are now um, to be, uh, have to prepare to defend themselves. You know, I always wondered why the same wasn't done in the uh, situation on homecoming weekend when um, um, unlicensed, I'm sure, um, rap concert ended up in a felony occurrence. Why those people didn't sue the city then, but they didn't. But these folks are more sophisticated and they are suing all the above, as I mentioned. So um, that's worth noting as we start our conversation. Uh, just to give you a little history of this, um, the Collier International Office, and I'm reading from, I'm reading you the high points from this document. Uh, the office is at 107 Southwest 7th Street. This is in an urban, quote unquote, as the uh, legal notice, uh, legal suit here says, uneventful, low crime neighborhood. It's a well-maintained commercial office building, uh, which is uh, suitable for a high-end professional service company like Colliers International. Now, there were two people who arrived at 9.15 for work. Um, Hurst and Nicola Moreland. She was an intern and a student at the University of Florida. They were beginning their normal um, routine, preparing for the day's work. And what neither of them knew was that concealed outside the Collier office, the office uh, which they were going into, was a heavily armed unit of 14 to 20 officers from the Gainesville Police Department's Special Weapons and Tactics Team, which uh, uh, is known as SWAT. And they were preparing to occupy the office building, unbeknownst to Hurst or Moreland. And the reason this is worth noting 
is that this could happen to you or me. You could be going to work. You could not be involved in what was going on. And suddenly you could find yourself, oddly enough, not caught up in a crime perpetrated on you by criminals uh, and weapons being held, let's put it this way, weapons being held on you uh, 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 by criminals, but weapons being pointed at you by law enforcement officers. So you can imagine the type of surprise and shock that Hearst and Moreland um, reacted with when all of a sudden they had what is described in this document as military style uh, uh, weapons pointed at them. So um, it also is worth noting that in this uh, lawsuit, uh, SWAT's presence at Collier's international office had nothing to do with Hearst or Moreland. And so this massive show of force uh, deployed to serve a search warrant for electronic records into an alleged trade secret against a competitor had nothing to do with Hearst and Moreland. Um, so uh, neither Hearst nor Moreland was suspected of any criminal activity, nor were they under any investigation of any type, nor were they believed, nor did they have any role in the criminal complaint or in the civil litigation that was going on between Drotos Riles and Bossart. But the SWAT team surveilling the Collier's International Office knew this, they had to know this, and were fully briefed before the raid, and they knew that Hearst and Moreland were bystanders and had nothing to do with the investigation. So that's a very important point um, um, that um, is, is, is worth noting. I'm getting a note here, something about a cursor. Uh, production, is there a white cursor moving? Um, anywhere, uh, I'm not sure I can get their attention. So I mean, let me, I'm not gonna take time out to text. Is there a white cursor moving somewhere? Somebody's complaining is a white cursor moving or is it me? Have you got that taken care of? I think we've eliminated that. Thank you for letting us know that. I'm back to my narration here. That came in off the sideline. I don't know why the cursor was moving. Thank you very much. Um, so shortly after um, Hearst and uh, Moreland arrived for work, uh, the uh, SWAT team moves in and um, they didn't, uh, Moreland and, and them did not know what was happening. The, 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 the point here is things start moving rather uh, hastily here in a way that, that uh, really starts to domino effect. The team moved on the Collier's International office. Uh, the officers marched these confused employees out of the office at gunpoint. The employees' hands were zip tied behind their backs. The employees were lined up against a wall facing away from the officers. The employees were then held in custody against their will for nearly two hours. Uh, officers seized their personal property, including their cell phones and even Hearst Apple Watch. The personal property of Hearst and Moreland was not returned for months despite, despite numerous requests, and it took a lawsuit to get that property back. Now, there's also a plaintiff in this suit by the name of Bennett Harrell, who's also a commercial real estate broker for Colliers International. He arrived at the Colliers International office for work while the SWAT raid was already underway. He was not under any suspicion or any investigation. 
And he was shocked when he saw this fully deployed SWAT team that was in the process of entering the Collier's International Office. And he first thought was that it was some sort of hoax, maybe a bomb threat, or even maybe a swatting prank. If there is such a thing, I have no idea. But um, he saw the armored SWAT vehicle. He saw over a dozen officers in body armor holding military-style weapons. He watched Hearst being marched across the office parking lot, hands bound. He saw Moreland nearby, also with her hands bound. Harold still sitting in his car. He was still sitting in his car when he saw this. Uh, he was parked in the Colliers International parking lot. He was dumbfounded, but he was suddenly surprised by a SWAT officer who appeared at his window and ordered him to exit the vehicle. The officer marched Harold over to his colleagues where he was searched and his cell phone was seized. The seized personal property uh, of Hearst, Moreland and Harold are called the plaintiff's personal property in this lawsuit. And he was held against his will for two hours. Now the point is, and this is gonna be brought out in this trial, so this is gonna be a jury trial. The SWAT raid was unreasonable, unjustified, unnecessary, and wildly disproportionate in its use of force. And it was applied in an arbitrary and capricious way. Uh, furthermore, and this is where we get to the nitty gritty, for those of you who have been asking me about this, the warrant was generated by a questionable police report, which I'm going to expand on in just a moment, and was based upon um, the, a deeply flawed, if not outright fraudulent, whoops, be search warrant application. Now, this is really interesting how this search warrant application got into existence, who paid for it and what it resulted in. And you're going to hear more about this in a very big way before long. Um, the, basically the way the warrant policy works at GPD and the city of Gainesville is it allows uh, for the deployment of SWAT, listen to this carefully, for the deployment of SWAT to serve nearly any search warrant, regardless of the risk involved, so long as it is approved by the SWAT commander who has this arbitrary discretion by applying open-ended, arbitrary, and capricious, quote-unquote, other considerations to what is, we've looked at it, an otherwise formal, well-defined SWAT matrix, okay? That is something we looked at. We couldn't figure out how in the world they nudged the numbers up to the level that, uh, uh, you know, really pushed this thing into some sort of justification for this heavy handedness. Um, so the SWAT raid was a series of gross violations of plaintiff's rights under the Constitution of the United States of America to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures. Now, bear in mind, this is not being tried in a state court. This is being tried in a federal court. Jason Hurst, by the way, is a minority. So he's, this is also a civil rights case. It's a 14th and a Fourth Amendment case. And I'm telling you, this is going to get interesting. Very, very interesting. So if you have any questions where I am so far, I'm looking at the chats, put them in there for right now.
After a while, we'll open up the phone lines for you. Now, these people, uh, Hearst and Harrell, they had uh, any they didn't have any association ever with Bossart. Imagine that. You don't have any association with Bossart, and here you are, zip-tied, your possessions taken, marched up against a wall, held for two hours. You have no clue what's happened. And you're not having the military-style weapon pointed to you by a bad guy. You're having it pointed to you at you by the law. So the furthermore, at the time of the breakup, the brokers at Bossart had signed a separation agreement defining how future commissions would be paid. So uh, that whole thing had nothing to do with uh, these fellows. So Bossart had never alleged trade secret theft as a claim in a civil lawsuit two weeks and after the impasse on July 31st, 2020. This is kind of interesting because this appears to be done after the fact. Um, their arbitrator has found that there are no trade secrets stolen and has awarded damages and attorney's fees against Boss Hart. So some of the things in the police report, it's a false police report is a contention of this suit. And it's really kind of humorous in some of its, of its places. Some of, the, uh, some of the, the issues here are kind of funny. On its surface, uh, the contention here is that the police report is fraudulent. Now, if you set aside the question of why the police report alleges a theft of trade secrets, why does it then include three automobiles among the property reported stolen? And setting aside that question, uh, why do plaintiffs Hearst and Harrell um, have anything to do with their automobiles being involved in this fiasco. So here's why that part's fraudulent. Uh, Hearst has no connection to this trade secret dispute. Um, and the police report is that Hearst uh, Tesla is taken, but he didn't own the 2014 Tesla. Uh, he purchased, uh, at the time of the police report, he purchased the uh, Tesla. A police report was written July 2020. He purchased the automobile in December 2020. Five months, get this now. This is, this is kind of weird. Five months after the police report was allegedly filed. Furthermore, Hearst bought the car in Illinois. There's a copy of the bill of sale for the 2014 Tesla, which is attached as an exhibit in this lawsuit. So put simply, that right there shows you the police report is on the, on the surface, fraudulent. Because there's no way to connect the 2014 Tesla sitting somewhere in Illinois until December of 2020 with the earlier July 2020 police report. Furthermore, the Florida tag listed for the 2014 Tesla on the July 2020 police report. Get this now. 
was not even issued until December 2020. So the conclusion that the uh, attorneys for Childers, the attorney for Harold and Moreland, have concluded is that the police report was either altered after the fact to include the 2014 Tesla, or it is a wholesale fabrication manufactured to support the subsequently filed search warrant application. It cannot possibly be a genuine article. So these on the surface inaccuracies on the police report already uh, are enough to call in question the Fourth Amendment reasonableness of search, seizure, and detentions of plaintiffs. So there you go. How did the car get included in a police report for confiscation that wasn't even owned at the time of the police report being filled out? Now, what's interesting, furthermore, and I'll pause to see if I have any comments or questions, um, uh, Ray, you're up the wrong tree, my man. Uh, I'll get you to the right tree in a minute. Um, uh, I'm also getting another message here. Let me just see this quickly. A lot of stuff coming in here. I have to take time out. People messaging me. Um, and also, here's a comment that the truck, uh, Denali, wasn't purchased until February 2021, and the police report was filed at the end of July 2020. That's coming in from one of the principals involved in this story. I'll keep that person anonymous, but uh, thank you for being watching the show in live time and thank you for keeping me on uh, point here. Um, so let's refresh. There's no trade secret stolen. Uh, that's been determined in the arbitration agreement. And there's some funky things going on with the uh, police report. Now, furthermore, it alleges in this lawsuit, by, by the, remember, this lawsuit's not being um, filed by Drotos and Riles. It's being filed by Hearst and Moreland and um, uh, Harold because they are really you and I. They're going to work. They're doing their job. They have no participation in this and suddenly all this is descended upon them. This is a very heavy issue. This you need to pay attention to and watch as it unfolds. So the curious, interesting thing is what in the heck produced the search warrant? Now, the, uh, there's a defamation, uh, a deposition made in a defamation case. There are several cases going on here. I'll allude to them after the break. Um, filed by the brokers against Boss Hart and in that deposition, Detective Torado admitted, here we go now, this is, he admitted, and this would be under oath, that he relied on Bosshart to conclude that the electronic materials alleged to be trade secrets were in fact trade secrets. He, arrived, he, he relied on the veracity of one of the people in the argument. Now, Torado furthermore admitted now, here goes, here goes something that is explosive. If you notice, I said on my notification today, this is explosive. This is what is explosive. And I've researched this with law enforcement, and this is unheard of. 
What basically Bossart did was treated the city of Gainesville and the police department as if they were their private investigators. Now, there's nothing to keep Bossart, or even Rotos for that matter, hiring a private investigator. I gotta tell you, this is funny. We're private investigators, but nobody pays us. Uh, we just investigate because we wanna know. I suppose we could go into the investigation business and make a heck of a lot more money than we do doing this, and I do doing this. So, because we're doing a lot of investigation. But there's nothing to keep, there would have been nothing to keep Bossart from hiring their own private investigation firm, I suppose. But they hired the city of Gainesville. Now, how did that go down? Listen, I'm going to read section 38 of this document, and you file this away in your daybook. Part 38, paragraph 38 of this lawsuit says the following, and I quote from it. Detective Torado also admitted, admitted that Bossart had paid, are you ready for this? Thousands of dollars to the Gainesville Police Department during the course of the investigation. And that's one thing, that's, that has a period, that's one sentence. But the next sentence, my friends, are you listening, students? Are you paying attention? Bossart, according to Detective Toronto, laundered and disguised the payments by paying the police department's bills, like subpoena costs, to conceal any record of the money going directly to the police department. Do you want me to read it again? Detective Torado also admitted that Bossart had paid thousands of dollars to the Gainesville Police Department during the course of the investigation. Bossart laundered and disguised the payments by paying the police department's bills like subpoena costs to conceal any record of the money going directly to the police department. Now, let me just put an aside here in here. I got a tip. Those payments are in the form of checks. I don't have proof of that yet. And those payments are signed by a, allegedly a very well-known person. That's all I can tell you. I got that tip early this morning. Haven't investigated it. If it's true, it will come out. It will come out because we'll do a public records request for those payments in the forms of checks. And we'll see. So we're investigating the investigation. Now, on May 26, 2021, Detective Pinkston filed an application an affidavit for a search warrant in the circuit court. And the application sought a warrant for the Colliers International Office based upon uh, all this stuff Detective Pinkston has supposedly gathered uh, and uh, by uh, alleging that it, all these trade secrets had been stolen 
and uh, that was being used to to uh, pursue the arrest of all these people for doing this supposed uh, bad behavior. But the application has been shown to be grossly misleading. The application, and this is all highlighted in section 40, and I'll go into this before the bottom of the hour break here. It, the application omitted a host of material facts that Detective Pinkson knew or should have known, including the time of the filing of the police report, uh, all that business about uh, the contentious civil dispute, um, and a whole lot of things that are, are, are that the app files and that they actually had, you know, legitimate right to have them. Um, that this was all regular part of the normal course of broker business. Um, but the big one, two things, presented the timeline of events out of chronological order in a way that suggested that the brokers accessing Boss Hart files uh, took place after their termination when in fact, uh, they used these files while they were still working there. Um, and it was part of the normal course of broker business. It also falsely stated uh, the primary basis of the warrant uh, that by saying the um, app files um, were trade secrets and Lauren Edwards should not have had permission to them once she was authorized all along to actually access them. Um, so there's a lot of things in that application for that warrant that are, shall we say, less than truthful. And section 41 of this points that out. It's not, people have asked me, why did the judge sign the warrant? The judge signed the warrant, accepting the law officer, the officer, the, 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 poli the policeman, as an honest person. The judge assumed that what the GPD had given him as justification for the warrant was truthful. He didn't question it. I mean, he, why should he? I mean, here comes the cops. And the cops say they have a truthful application for a warrant. But now that these details are coming out, the application was not truthful. And had the judge known it, he never would have signed it. And according to this civil document here that I'm reading, it's going to be it's going to filed in federal court. The illegitimacy of the warrant is beyond, beyond dispute. The warrant was illegitimate. Now, if you have any kind of understanding of how the wheels of justice creak, um, this is something you wouldn't want to be on the wrong end of. These plaintiffs were not even named in the search warrant which, uh, you know, was shaky to start with. And yet they get caught up in the net. You know, it's really kind of amazing. And indeed puzzling is how the search warrant initially even came to attention of the SWAT commander. How did that happen? We're going to take a break here in a moment. And when we come back, I'll open up the phone lines. And um, you guys want to call? Why give a call? Our, our uh, production is watching the lines, and uh, we'll feed this through to me. When I come right back, 
of course, uh, I'll go into the weather for Lewis Oil, and you can gather your thoughts if you want to talk about this. Be right back on the Ward Scott Thoughts. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Uh, a warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files. I'm going to do a little weather here for you for a second because uh, Lewis Oil is the one who brings the weather to us. And I just got to uh, let you know that this heat wave uh, has not shown any signs of light, uh, letting up. Uh, apparently, according to some of the documents I've been reading over the night, uh, 100 million people uh, were uh, once again under a heat advisory or excessive heat warning on Thursday. And what this heat wave have done, of course, it is, uh, and here we are in a age when we're trying to separate ourselves from fossil fuels but it's driven up the natural gas prices. I just filled my propane tank or my backup generator, really much more expensive now. Um, so you gotta have a way of dealing with it and people deal with it with what we have is air conditioning and whatnot. We even build buildings now with the windows that won't open. So you've gotta have air conditioning, God forbid. A Denver, which has been, I've been there, I've flown into Denver when it was warm, 
and a week later flown out when it was snowbound and shut down uh, on July 18th at a record 100 degrees temperature. Um, and Texas has gotten as high as 108. Now, there's a lot of things that are kind of interesting about climate and all this stuff that we pretend to say is bad about global warming. Uh, the point is that um, humans adapt to heat, rising temperatures, and have fewer deaths from it than they do from the cold. Uh, across the world, uh, low temperatures are much, much more dangerous to human beings than are high temperatures. Half a million people die each year from heat, but more than 4.5 million die from cold. Uh, this was according to a Lancet study, which found that rising temperatures since 2000 on net reduced the number of temperature-related deaths. And the researchers concluded about by the end of the 2010s, rising temperatures globally were causing 16,000 more deaths annually, but also leading to 283,000 fewer cold deaths annually. So you got to really watch out for the politicalization of the weather. Uh, you know, that, you know, these lefties will politicize just about anything they can get their hands on. And consequently, because of this, these uh, climate policies based upon a flawed premise about global, quote unquote, climate warming, all that, we've got energy prices rising. We've got fuel prices and that makes food more expensive. And we've got fertilizer which we, we need to produce the food and feed the world, uh, which is made mostly with natural gas. It is also contributing to uh, worldwide hunger issues. And the climate-obsessed bureaucrats uh, are, are deaf to it all. So um, the, uh, a lot of grandstanding, environmental grandstanding going on. And in, in the Netherlands, uh, this Lancet study found, this is very interesting, uh, that... Uh, the Netherlands mandated that nitrogen, oxygen, and ammonia emissions, which are produced by livestock, must be slashed by 70 to 80% in some parts of the country. And you know what that did to guys like us who raise cattle? 40,000 farmers demonstrated against that because Holland is among the world's 10 largest food exporters. And in Sri Lanka, you may have seen where they stormed the president's office and ran that dude out of the office, that is a, a, a result of a food production collapse and a currency default. And anytime people go hungry, uh, they'll overrun the presidential palace. And that's what happened in Sri Lanka. So the world gets 80% of its energy from fossil fuels. And we can't ignore that because when people are cold, hungry, and broke, they rebel. So pay attention to that. It's not so much global warming. It's really the uh, environmental hoax perpetrated on us. Okay, we got a phone lines open. Um, anybody who wants to give a ring in, I'm going to have a sip of coffee and see if anybody wants to holler at us. As you as we're seeing if somebody wants to call in, I'll go over this SWAT team matrix with you. I'm reading from the complaint for damages uh, from Jason Hurst et al. versus the city of Gainesville et al., which is a federal court case. Again, and 
violation of the Fourth and Fourteenth Amendment. <clears throat> it's going to get very interesting. There are a lot of lawsuits that Bossart is going to have to fend off. You know, it's like King Kong on the on the uh, Empire State Building when the planes came and all that. He couldn't swat them away. He couldn't swat all the bees away. So um, the Commander West is the guy. Uh, who is also being sued in this. Uh, it's a, yeah, the SWAT search matrix you have to have for a search warrant. And it, uh, it registered a total score of 10 points, which mean, meant that it qualified for the lowest range of mid-tier category label consultation with SWAT commander required. So uh, where, did the, where did the excessive response come from uh, when the matrix was so low, um, the whole idea was that uh, the matrix was to refine and put restraints on uh, any kind of excessive behavior. But there's a flaw in GPD policy, which I think they've gone back and addressed since this was coming down. The GPD, GPD policy, and this goes back to the ineptness of the city of Gainesville. Let me take time out and just talk with you about that for a minute. It is getting worse and worse and worse. We've got Lonnie Scott, who there was never a, a search for a chief. He was just brought in as an assistant to the chief and, oh, self-promoted from within, and Tony Jones moved over to a high-paying clerical job in the city nobody can figure out. Certainly he's not qualified for. He, you know, and sentences don't get written by Tony Jones. Um, and so here we've got this police department, which is really, when you think about it, probably the Gainesville Police Department and the Sheriff's Office should be all one. Because you see, the sheriff is elected and answers to the county commission. The police chief is not elected and answers to the city commission. And so the politics that get involved and are involved right now with the police department of Gainesville are all over the place. Unlike we have a call, we have a call, I think we have a call coming in. Do we have a call coming in? Um, got a call coming in, so I'll take time out and listen to that. Patch that in for me, please. Hey, good morning, Ward. Hey, Mark, what's going on, brother? Have you listened to this story? Oh, yes. Uh, I find it very intriguing that uh, this could be pulled off. Uh, it just seems to me that there was a lot of uh, collaboration somewhere between the police, the SWAT, uh, maybe the county commissioners, the city commissioners, and everything else. There's just too too many uh, big holes in all this stuff that they pull the wool over the judge's eye and got that subpoena, and, the, and that the SWAT team can use their own discretion with the SWAT commander. Uh, there, there should be a lot more restraints on that. But uh, something I found out yesterday that's going on with the FBI is that 
they're going around door to door for people with concealed carry permits. And this was found out in uh, Missouri by a sheriff who had a complaint from people that uh, the FBI showed up knocking on their door, demanding them they show them the the guns that they own, the pistols, and uh, match the serial numbers under the guys that they are updating their database. Well, the one guy was smart enough to tell them when they get a warrant and come back with it, he'll show them the guns. So uh, that stuff's going on under the table with the FBI and concealed carry permit holders. Now, I'll sit back and uh, listen, Ward. Well, thank you for that call, Mark, because I was just to the place where at the time of this uh, SWAT behavior came down, there was a GPD policy uh, that was designed, implemented, and practiced in such a way as um, reading for the, from the uh, suit here, uh, to delegate full unilateral authority to the SWAT commander to determine when SWAT would be deployed to support service of a search warrant. Now, uh, this has been changed, I understand, since, uh, but the predictable result of this policy uh, was the SWAT raid on Cottage International, and it resulted in a group of innocent commercial real estate brokers who were completely uninvolved in the alleged under underlying crime and whose names did not appear on the search warrant, um, uh, be, you know, who were beginning their uh, work day uh, quite uh, uh, innocently and quite um, routinely, uh, were confronted by this raid. Uh, and the language in this is not uh, overstated, heavily armed, body armored SWAT team that marched them out of their office at gunpoint, at gunpoint, bound them, detained them for hours and seized their personal property. That, my friends, right there is big trouble. We in the Ward Scott Files will keep the keep shedding, throw, throwing the light on this kitchen full of cockroaches. Um, this, and when I find out, if I can, whose name is on those checks, I'll make that public. I've been told whose name's on there, but I'm not going to make it public because I don't know yet. But um, this uh, suit alleges, and it certainly the behavior demonstrates the validity of it, um, that search warrants should not be arbitrary, capricious, and constitutional, and that the team sent there to exercise that should not be uh, in the hands of one individual who can behave without any restraint. So the policies at the time of this gave SWAT commanders unlicensed, unreviewed, unilateral authority to deploy massive force against innocent citizens. That's really the crux of the matter, my friends. That is the crux of the matter. Now, um, the SWAT raid, let's review here, took place on the morning of June 2nd, 2021, 10 months after Aaron Bossart filed his police report. Okay. 
And that resulted in 20 or more law enforcement personnel being deployed against three unarmed citizens. That's the focus of this particular suit, uh, coming to work and doing their, one of whom was the University of Florida intern, student. I don't know if there's anything there that that student has an umbrella of protection too that's been violated. That's interesting. Uh, you start messing with students and you've got another set of laws that come into existence. Um, this was an intern. Uh, this was a student pursuing uh, a degree who is uh, treated as if she were, she won't recover from it. These things people don't recover from. When you have a weapon pointed at you, you, you don't recover from that. That changes you. And when you come into contact with these bellicose, uh, macho, bravado, uh, stormtrooper type dudes, and, and that's what it takes to be that, uh, which is I'm not saying it's not what it should be, but you, know, you, don't, you don't forget that. That changes you. So pile on the fact that there's no trade secrets now, and it was all bogus, and it was all uh, financed by uh, Boss Hart writing checks uh, to the cops who allowed themselves to function as a private investigator on behalf of the Boss Hart real estate firm. That's what Toronto says in this thing. I'm not doing anything but quoting from the document. So this is a, a community interest that I get, talk, I get asked about quite frequently. And I thought I would spend a little time today talking with you about it. Um, from the time that the SWAT team raid began uh, to the time that Hearst and Moreland were released from the conference room, just a conference room was about two hours and 10 minutes. That's a pretty doggone long time. Two hours and 10 minutes sitting around wondering what's going to happen. And they never tell you anything. Then the, the cops never tell you anything. Um, you know, they, 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 they slam shut. So this suit alleges that Detective Pinkston, this is a biggie here, I got it a big star by it, stated deliberate falsehoods or showed reckless disregard for the truth in his application for the search warrant. This is alleged in paragraphs 36 through 42 of this document, which I just covered with you. Um, the search warrant was void and unconstitutional, and therefore it's violated the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution of the United States, which is a due process amendment. Um, civil rights in the 14th, you know, Plessy versus Ferguson, I mean, uh, Brown, Board versus Brown, that one I think is the name of it. Um, this is what set, took down the walls of segregation. So here we have a civil rights case. And, you know, civil rights cases are a whole different ball of wax. So um, that I would not want to be on the end of either if I were uh, in the uh, involved in this situation. So there's an excessive use of force. There's an unconstitutional use of force. The um, furthermore, it's alleged here that Gainesville and the Gainesville Police Department failed to properly train or supervise 
Commander West, that doesn't surprise me in the least. I tell you, that city of Gainesville is the most screwed up municipal government. And I've been around a lot of municipal governments other than, of course, a United States municipal government. It is the most screwed up government I've run into in a long time. I've never seen so many dysfunctional people put together in one room. That has, in, that has ended up SWAT team members, and I'm quoting from this, this also, pointing their military-style rifles at Hearst and Moreland. There you go. Just, there you go. That's a heavy one. That's a heavy one. Uh, a jury will have a tough time exonerating those who did this. Um, so therefore, it's alleged that the city of Gainesville and the Gainesville Police Department are liable for this excessive use of force used to execute this search warrant. It alleges that Detective Pinkston is liable for the excessive use of force. And furthermore, uh, let's cover all the bases here. Um, it also, um, um, has the SWAT team commander as responsible? Uh, anybody in a supervisory role? You know what this makes you think of? Let's say you're on the SWAT team. I put a little note here in the margin. Let's suppose that you're on the SWAT team or anywhere else up the chain of command and you're given this order to go out to a commercial building and hold unsuspected citizens uh, at gunpoint. At what point, and just to refresh you on this, this is the basis of the Nuremberg trials. We held German soldiers, officers, soldiers, even down to uh, uh, prison guards, responsible, responsible for not obeying an immoral or unreasonable command. And we held them criminally responsible for that at the Nuremberg trials and subsequently. And Martin Luther King, letter from Birmingham jail, he addresses this very issue. When he was arrested in Birmingham for participating in the, uh, I think it was the, uh, the garbage uh, truck dispute or whatever, he said, hey, I broke the law. I will go to jail because I broke the law. But the law needs to be changed. So there's not there for me to break. So should these guys, this is a question that will never come across the lips of anybody but me. Should these guys in the SWAT team have said to the SWAT commander, hey, hold on, dude. I ain't going to fulfill this command. I ain't going to hold a gun on these kids. Should they? No. They, that would have taken enormous courage. Enormous courage to tell your boss, no, what you just asked me to do, I can't live with my conscience if I do it because it is wrong. So now they find themselves involved in this lawsuit. They're sued too. I just thought that was a really interesting question. 
It's under Section 99 and 100 of this lawsuit. I'm the only guy in America that would think of this. I promise you. Promise you. But that's a huge issue. At what point do you do what a, somebody stupid tells you to do? Just because you work for them. It's a huge dilemma. Huge dilemma. So the city of Gainesville and the Gainesville Police Department are liable for this excessive use of force. Pinkston is liable. All these guys that went out there and didn't uh, say, hold on, hold on, I don't think this is right. They're liable. We'll see how it turns out. We'll see how it turns out. I wanted to go through that very carefully with you. We're going to put up on Wardsop bulletin board. I don't know if we ever displayed the document or not in the background. I was looking too much looking at my notes here. We'll maybe flash it up for you, just the front page of it, police production. Uh, I'll let you see it. Um, so take a look at it. So 42 pages. We'll put it on the Wardsop bulletin board. And um, note uh, that it is a uh, request for a jury trial. And, and it is a civil rights constitutional federal case. Um, you know, we used to have this joke as kids. It was a joke. Are you trying to make this into a federal case? We would joke whenever we'd have arguments as kids. Are you trying to make this a federal case? Because we knew that a federal case is a big deal. Um, so, so, yeah, yeah, trying to make it. There it is. Thanks, production, for putting that up there. Uh, it's 42 pages. We'll put it out there in a moment. And, uh, and uh, you can take a take a look at it. So I appreciate um, y'all tuning in today. Uh, anything that develops in this case in the near future, we'll certainly revisit it. And uh, we appreciate all of you on the research team who gets this information to me and who communicates with me, some of which I'm not yet willing or able to share with you. Um, have a great weekend. Warthog Command Center out.